0: Is it true there is poetry in everything? In every block of granite, there's a statue. In every instrument, there's music. What if I told you there's a poem in every Supreme Court case? You'd probably call me crazy, but our guest, Harbani Ahuja, will prove it to you. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. <laughs> Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for tuning in. It's great, as always, to be here with you. And today, we're going to talk with a unique poet who turns Supreme Court cases into poetry. But get this, she does it without even writing a single word. How does she do it? I don't know, but we're going to find out. But first, need to thank our sponsor, Noda. Noda is powered by m Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of Noda, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit TrustNoda.com forward slash legal to learn more. And remember, that's NOTA spelled N-O-T-A. Terms and conditions may apply. All right. Let's say hello to our guest, Harbani Hahuja. She is the artist in residence at ICAD, the International Center for Advocates Against Discrimination. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for being here. I, uh, I got this information from our producer, Molly McDonough, that you turn Supreme Court decisions into poetry. I had to learn more about that. But uh, before we get into all of that, you know, tell us about your background. How did you find your way to ICAD?
1: Sure. So I'm a public interest attorney, and I've worked with government and non-government organizations in the areas of civil rights, immigrant rights, and public health. I'm currently serving as a legislative counsel at the New York City Council. And in college is really where I discovered my passion for pursuing public interest law. And that's where I met one of my, one of the co-founders of ICAD at a community-based organization that I was interning at while I was in college. Um, And he really became a mentor to me. And I ended up actually becoming one of has first interns back when it was founded um, before oh, I went wow. to law school. Yeah. And so when I was a 1L, I started Dicta and I was sharing poems on social media and ICAD reached out because they were just really interested in the work. But at the time, we didn't really have a vision for how to sort of execute it into a successful program. So we talked about it for several years. And last year was really when we actually decided how we wanted to shape it. So I began my artist in residency with ICAD last year.
0: Tell us a little bit more about the work that ICAD does.
1: Sure. So ICAD's focus is really to use evidence-based approaches to uncover and dismantle structural discrimination using international human rights law, data, tech, art, and design justice. And the idea of design justice is that you create interventions for those who are on the margins and not the majority, and you're centering the communities that you're working with on behalf of them by engaging them in the design process. So the artivism program that ICAD created really ties into the idea of design justice because it creates this opportunity to elevate underrepresented artists while providing them with a lens of structural discrimination um, as a way to view their art through.
0: Well, let's talk about the Dicta Project. Now, I know there's people out there that love reading Supreme Court cases, and I know there's people Mm -hmm. out there that love writing poetry. So what on earth inspired you to take a Supreme Court case and look at it and say, you know, I bet there's a poem in there somewhere?
1: Yeah. So I honestly I've been writing poetry since I was a little girl, and I'm always trying to find poetry in like strange places. And so naturally, when I was in law school, and we just spent all our time, you know, in big textbooks filled with case law, I, I decided to try to find some poetry there. And so the process of dicta is pretty simple. I, I find a Supreme Court case, I black out everything but a few words, and those words form a poem. But dicta itself essentially serves as much more than that. It's a it's commentary on the case or a reflection on the state of society at the time that the case was decided. And my dicta with my goal with dicta um, was twofold. The first was to make the law more accessible. I think that we often view the law as this larger than life concept that we don't really understand or find accessible. Most non-lawyers don't really, you know, you don't really see them picking up Supreme Court decisions and reading them for fun. And so, you know, they're often filled with legal jargon and, and complex legal principles. principles and people don't really feel like they can connect with them in a meaningful way. And so, and that kind of brings me to my second point, which is because we find the law so inaccessible, we we sort of put it on a pedestal and assume that it's righteous and it's just. And so I think because of this, we often view the law as the equivalent of justice. And that's sort of inherent in the way it's presented, right? Like we call our criminal legal system, the criminal justice system, even though there's a lot of justice lacking there. The icon for the legal field is literally Lady Justice, right? She's holding a scale in one hand and she's blindfolded as if to say that the law is fair and blind, but it's not. And so that's what I really hope to expose this dicta, this gap between the law and justice. Because the law at the end of the day is really just a reflection of the people in power. The people who sit on our legislatures and our courts and what they deem to be morally right and wrong. And so I really wanted people engaging with this process to understand the timeliness of the struggle for human and civil rights in this country, a struggle that really has existed for particular groups since this country's foundation and a struggle that very much continues today.
0: Now, ICAD hired you as their artist-in-residence, and when Mm -hmm. you put out one of your works here, one of your poems, how do they utilize it? I mean, do they utilize it to raise awareness? Do they sell them? How is your work utilized?
1: Yeah, so it's utilized in a few different ways. So in addition to raising awareness and funds right now, Dicta is being published in various legal news resources. Our plan is actually to also hopefully turn it into a traveling exhibition at law firms, expand it to into university spaces and partner with socially conscious art galleries to host the work and hopefully turn it into a cross-cultural art exhibition so that Dicta could reach a wider global Audience, we really just want to expose the work to really help you know attorneys and non-attorneys really connect with the law in a different way.
0: Let's talk about your process. So let's say you're on Oye or you're on SCOTUS Blog and you're you're running mm-hmm. through a series of cases. Like what what leaps out at you and says you know what that's going to be a really good case to write a poem out of.
1: Yeah, so actually, the ICAD team and I have sort of worked together to identify sort of thematic areas that are tied together to social justice issues that I care deeply about, and that also align with the organization's programmatic work. So we carefully sort of curated the case law that would be representative of like a wide range of issues that go back to the country's early history, in order to really illuminate this struggle for human rights that continues, but also some of the progress that we've made. So the themes that we've been working with are, I mean, the ones that I've worked on so far are the rights of black people, the rights of women, and we're also going to be working on LGBTQI um, plus rights, immigrant rights, and indigenous rights.
0: Now, when you do this, do you use the whole case or part of the case, or you just kind of know it when it's done sort of thing?
1: So I use one page from a case. What I typically do is I read the full case and I sort of see what, like, try to understand what it means historically, what it means to me. And then I select one particular page within the decision that I'm going to work on.
0: Do you prefer concurring or dissenting opinions?
1: It depends. I think like I'm always looking for good language, right? Because I want to make the poem really mean something. And so I'm looking for language that really strikes me while I'm reading it. And often that isn't the dissenting opinion because they're usually stronger, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's in the decision itself.
0: All right, Harbadi, I've got a loaded question for you. Who's your favorite and least favorite justice to read from?
1: So I don't know that I necessarily have a favorite or least favorite. I will say that, you know, surprisingly, Scalia has has written a lot of he uses like really interesting, you know, imagery in his in his writing. And so surprisingly, I found some interesting sort of phrases and stuff in in his writing. But honestly, it's it's not typically about the justice. It's usually just like whatever I find in the case that um, I can pull out and it's more about like the words that are jumping out to me and not necessarily the justice itself.
0: You know, I was going to surprise you on this interview. And what I was going to do, inspired by your work, was take Gene Simmons from Kiss, his tweets, and try to turn it into like a really (laughs) awesome tweet. And then I looked at it, I'm like, you know what, this is probably not appropriate. But have you ever had a case and you really wanted to work with it, but no matter what you did, you just couldn't make anything out of it?
1: Yeah, I've actually had quite a few cases that just didn't work. I think sometimes cases are a little too technical in language, um, and there's not really much there for me to extract in terms of poetry. Sometimes I'll end up just scratching a case and moving on because there's just like plenty of other seminal cases that I can use. But yeah, that's happened quite a bit where um, I'll typically start with like, we'll brainstorm about 15-ish cases, and then like I'll end up scrapping a few of them just because I know that not all of them are going to work for me.
0: All right. Now you had to know this was coming. Uh, Since we have you here, would it be possible if you could share one of your poems with us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the cases that I worked on recently is from the collection of poems on the rights of Black people. Um, And this is a poem from a Supreme Court case that was decided in 1982 titled City of Los Angeles v. Lyons.
0: Now, why did this one mean so much to you?
1: So I think this one particularly for me was very timely in that while I was writing it uh, last year was like really when Black Lives Matter protests were happening on the streets and For me, I think this very much highlights the continued struggle for justice for Black Americans in the U.S. And when you read this piece, it really actually sounds disturbingly like the murder of Eric Garner, the murder of George Floyd. And what's striking is this case is actually from 1976, and it's actually really procedural in nature. And it's about whether um, Mr. Lyons, the plaintiff, has standing to sue the city of Los Angeles, while he was seeking to bar the use of ch- chokeholds. The police in this case had stopped uh, Mr. Lyons for a traffic violation, and he was seized and held in a chokehold, which rendered him unconscious and damaged his larynx. And the the court found that he did not have standing to sue. And while the, ca- the facts of the case are particularly horrifying, they're unfortunately not unique. And if we acknowledge the continued use of chokeholds and police police brutality against black men and women, we can see how this is a case where the law could not possibly align with justice. And so I feel like it's one of the ones where I think it's, you know, it really does expose the gap between the law and justice as dicta wants to.
0: So you took this historic case and you you brought it uh, forth with modern themes and then you went in and blacked out words on the page to create what you're about to read for us.
1: Yes. So um, this is, again, uh, the Supreme Court case titled City of Los Angeles v. Lyons. Justice found that no one, not even a person who has been choked to death, will raise any concern. The officers greeted him with drawn revolvers, grabbed and slammed. He struggled for air, lying face down on the ground, choking, gasping for air, a chokehold without justification.
0: Wow. You know, that was really apropos. It's amazing that uh, you were able to find, you know, a case from the seventies and bring it, you know, kind of bring it forth uh, again, like in modern themes. So that that is really impressive work.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much.
0: Well, Harbani, it has been a real pleasure to have you on with us. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really, really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.
0: And if our listeners, they want to learn more about your work, where can they find you?
1: So um, the first theme, which is the first 40 poems which have been released, are actually being featured on the ABA Gallery. So the American Bar Association has hosted a gallery or you can visit ICAD um, and they have a page there where you can also explore dicta more.
0: Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you like today's episode, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. We value the time you invest with us. And speaking of investment, one more thank you to our sponsor, Nota. You can find them at trustnotacom forward slash legal. And that's notice spelled N-O-T-A. And last but never least, thank you to our team, producer Molly McDonough, and our LT and audio crew because working with them is like poetry. This has been Legal Talk today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody.